0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Well, I'm going to pray. I loved this afternoon, Henry talked about Mary of Bethany living extravagantly for God, pouring it all out, sitting at his feet. And so we're going to kind of continue in that theme and talking about the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So I'm going to pray, Jesus, we ask you, we ask you that you would take a hold of our hearts, that you would grip our hearts for the gospel. You would grip our hearts for pursuing you, that we would see you that we would see your glory, we would see your face, that we would be fascinated by your word, just like Max's story, that he got fascinated by your word. God, I'm asking that that would happen in each one of us, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to run hard after you. God, I'm asking for each heart in this room to burn with hunger and desire for you. Jesus, I'm asking that you would come and you would make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to open up your Bible's, we're going to flip a couple places to one, Matthew 11, and the other one we're going to flip to is Mark 10. So I'm going to read Matthew 11 here. Verses 11 and 12. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than john the baptist yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of john the baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent men take it by force so in this chapter we look at matthew 11 and we see this chapter of in the earlier in the beginning of the chapter we see the, the disciples of John coming to Jesus. John is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of the kingdom, for preaching the gospel of repentance. Herod's offended because of what he said about his wife because he was convicting him of sin. He's in prison for this, and there's a moment that John feels, and he sits there and he goes to the point where it almost seems like John's doubting. And he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says to them, he, he sends them over, and he goes, Hey, are you the one that we've been seeking? Excuse me as I trip over the cord. Are you the one that we've been seeking, or should we await another one? And Jesus responds to him, if you look at verses um, 4 or 5, it says, Go, report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have gospel the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense in, of me. When I look at this passage, I'm looking I'm I'm feeling the angst of John the Baptist. And what I mean by that is Jesus calls John the greatest man born of women. The greatest man. But when I look at his life, I go, you didn't pick him to be one of your disciples, Jesus. And when he's telling John right now, what he's telling him is this. He's going, hey, he's quoting Isaiah 61 that says, I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. I'm going to open up their eyes. And he goes, and he stops quoting right before the prisoners are set free. The captives are set free. Almost like a sign unto John saying, Yeah, I'm not going to release you out of prison. Like, I'm not going to release you. And he goes, But blessed is he who does not take offense into me. So I say all that. Now turn over to Mark 10. Starting in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage. Stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So we see this picture of this man named Bartimaeus. He's a blind beggar. He's sitting outside of Jericho. And he hears these rumors of a man who can do miracles, who can do signs and wonders, who can do works. Maybe he's the man that the Jewish people have talked about for so long. The Messiah. Maybe he's the one coming. And he starts to hear the crowd going, he's coming close. The man Jesus is coming close. The man Jesus is coming close. And so as he hears the crowd coming, he starts crying out, going, son of David, mercy. Notice me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the, the crowd start telling him, he doesn't want to hear you. You're a beggar. No one cares about you. No one cares about your problems. No one cares about your your depression. No one cares about your anxiety. He's going, shh. He goes, no, the Lord doesn't really want to come and meet you. Like, be quiet. He doesn't care. It's like these voices that go through our heads. It's almost like they're telling him "They'll be quiet. But instead of holding back, We see Bartimaeus cry out all the more, going, son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And he cries out all the more. And Jesus, having compassion on him, goes, call him. Call him to me. And Bartimaeus, and suddenly the crowds, the same crowds who were trying to tell him to be quiet, suddenly turn a a face and go, oh, there's favor on him. Let's have tell him, let's help him get to Jesus so we can be close to him. It's like picks up how quickly we change our faces. And he, he, they bring him to Jesus and he goes, What what do you want from me? He goes, I want to see. And I get so moved by the reality that the first face he saw was Jesus. The first face he saw, because he had the faith to cry out. He had the faith to open his mouth and not be restrained by other people's opinions, by his reputation, by his thoughts, by other people's thoughts, by the cultural norm to be quiet and to be held back because of his situation in life. That, his, that nothing held him back, that his context and the people around him did not hold him back from crying out all the more. And this is what I want to talk to you about. This is the invitation that I feel for the church of Peoria. This is the invitation I feel for the people group here of that you would be ones, that we would be ones as the body of Christ who go, I will let nothing hold me back from knowing the face of Jesus. I would have nothing holding me back to pursuing Him and to calling Him beautiful and just saying, let my reputation not be in my way. Let my, my ideas or my ideologies be in the way. But let me cry out all the more saying, God, I must see you. Because the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. Will we not take it? that there is an invitation for a people to go, God, that I must see you. That I must know you. That my heart would be moved by the sound of your voice. So much so, I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care about the thoughts or the the opinions. That me seeing your face means more to me than my reputation and how disgraceful I look as I'm crying out in the streets. So what does that mean? It means we live a lifestyle of our daily walk that looks like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It looks like being poor in spirit, which means, which in simple means, so blessed is the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. He goes, basically what that means is, blessed are those who know their need for God, and you'll be rewarded. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the thirsty. Blessed are the merciful, that they would be shown mercy. Blessed are the ones who bring peace, who are peacemakers in a situation. Blessed are the persecuted, that we would live a life that's so provoking even to other Christians. That we would that people would actually be mad at us because they go, What are you doing? You're so out there. And that means the way that we talk, that means the way that we live our lives, that means the way that we spend our time. That our hearts would be moved by the beauty of Jesus and the graciousness of who he is over the reputation that we behold that we, we try so hard to hold on to. What does it look like for a church to be given permission to go, I shall give everything that I have to know His face? And that doesn't mean you have to have a ministry lifestyle. Meaning, it doesn't mean you have to drop everything and join the mission field or join the ministry or do a full-time house of prayer. Maybe it does for some people, but it looks like obedience. It looks like obedience to the call of God on our lives. It looks like those moments when he whispers that still small voice and he goes, Hey, hey, I want to get hold of your attention. I've been feeling such this ache the last few months, but this last week of God that we would, we would want to know you as you are as a person and not just for what you can do for us. Because we often look at the verse in Matthew 11. Oh, the kingdom suffers violence. And we often relate that to taking hold of healings and signs and wonders. And I think it's more than that. I think, yeah, let's pursue signs and wonders. Let's pursue prophetic words. But I think it's more than that. I think it's it's the pursuit of a king. Because what's it look like to ask for a kingdom to come... If we don't actually know the king who's coming with it, who's coming to reign. At the end of this age, Jesus is going to reign, not America. Jesus is going to reign above all other nations. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. But do we know him? Are we provoked and do we have permission to give him give everything that we have. The thing about the John the Baptist lifestyle is that we that he lived in such obscurity and abnormality and even though he was considered the greatest one, he was considered humble. he was considered some of like the, the greatest person born of woman in that day the Lord didn't choose him to be his disciple and he goes don't take offense. But would we pursue Him and not let our hearts go offended if it doesn't go the way that we want? Would we pursue Him and give Him everything without strings attached? Would we lay down our calling and our assignments, our American prophetic callings, for the sake of what He's doing on the earth? And I'm not saying like, Again, there's the there's the obedience portion. Like this is about obedience unto Him. This is about the first commandment that we would love Him with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. This is about a call into the kingdom of going. God, I love You. I love You. I long that there would be a day where the church, the church of the world of the nations would. Would go, God, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore about my ministry calling or about my vocational calling. I don't care anymore about my reputation. I don't care anymore about those things. What I care about is that you would come back because I can't stand the distance anymore. Are our hearts moved? Like, if we're being honest with ourselves, is that our desire? Is our desire that we would actually know Jesus or, or would we rather him just give us a really cool calling and assignment? Like I so long for the church that we would, we would feel so moved. And when we're moved, Jesus looks to his father in heaven and goes, you have to send me back now. You have to send me back now. Like I can't stand the distance anymore. But I'm not sure yet that that's our our desire. So when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and taking it by violence and taking it by force, we're talking about what is it that we have to do to see the man Jesus? What is it that we have to do to see the, the God, our Father, the Father of glory that no man has seen, that no eye has laid beholden of? Come down and dwell on the earth with us. That our goal in our life would be more than just just the day-to-day. That we would set our eyes on things above. On the glory of who Jesus is. On the beauty of what he's promised. And say, God, you've promised a kingdom to come. It's, it's Hebrews 11 of the men and the women who've gone through the ages and said... I'm going to believe for the kingdom, though they never saw it. That they were given a promise by God. Abraham was given a promise by God of a kingdom to come. And he never saw the the fulfillment of it. That this is a thing that we long for. That God would reign on the earth and that we would be moved. That this idea in this right now would move us. It would cause our hearts to go... Yes, I will lay everything down and find whatever it takes. I would search the scriptures. I would spend my days in the word. I would spend my time finding out how to be close to him. I would spend my time in having holy conversations that aren't about gossiping, about accusing our brother and our sister, that we would guard our speech. That we would take hold of the, the constitution of the kingdom is how we call Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We would take hold of that lifestyle and we would keep ourselves from being hypocritical and from lying. And not even for the sake of sin. Not even for the sake of avoiding sin, but for the sake of actually, if this helps me get closer to God, I will do whatever it takes. Henry talked about Mary of Bethany and the extravagant giving. It's really hard to extravagantly give everything we have. Because if you were given money for the whole year, you wouldn't have to work for a whole year, and you were given everything you need. Would you realistically, I don't know that I would, be like, I'll give it up to pour it over. I'll give it up. If I didn't have to work for a year, if I didn't have to raise support, if I didn't have to do a job for a year and I could just have my way, would I give that up? Would I give up my inheritance is essentially what Mary's doing. She's giving up her inheritance and saying, I recognize who you are and I'm saying you're worth everything that I have and I possess. I recognize the worth and the glory and I recognize that everything that I have is already yours and that you are the great giver and provider. It's that moment when we go, God, God, let me, let me, we, as a prayer movement, we talk about Mary of Bethany a lot if you've ever been a part of a prayer movement for a minute it's such a key message of sitting at the Lord's feet sitting and hearing his voice but it's a sacrifice it's a sacrifice it was a sacrifice for John to go out and to be in the wilderness to make way the ready the, the way of the Lord it's a sacrifice for mary to to spend all of her inheritance and give it wholly to jesus because she understood who he was who he is my main goal is that you would you would take apart you would take hold of this you would take hold of this reality and you'd go, I, I'm, I'll do whatever it takes. And that doesn't mean it. you do it all tonight. I hope you do, but that doesn't mean you do it all tonight. It means will you begin the journey starting tonight of going, God, what is it? What can I give you? What can I give you that I would long for you above all else? What does it look like in your personal life to take the kingdom of heaven by force? What does it look like for your personal life? Because it looks different for every person. And I truly believe obedience is better than sacrifice. And so it looks different. Sometimes it's sometimes it's moving to Kansas City for a lot of us in this room. Sometimes it looks like joining the prayer movement. Sometimes it looks like just spending those 20 minutes extra in the day, spending time with the Lord, and slowly giving more and more to the Lord. Sometimes it looks like giving up TV. Sometimes it looks like giving up social media. It looks different for every person. And sometimes it's really radical. And sometimes it's really normal in everyday feeling. But will we go on that journey of going, God, you're so worth it. You're so worth it. Because the beauty, the beauty of being able to give everything up is not a, is about who we receive. It's about who we receive instead. That we would get hold of Jesus going down to the waters to get baptized. And the voice calling out that God spoke audibly. And he goes, this, this is my beloved son whom I well pleased. Because if we were to get a hold of that reality of, God, you're pleased in your son. You feel about your son. You feel about me the way you feel about your son. If we were to get that, everything changes. Everything changes. So John seventeen twenty four. the Father I desire... That they would be with me where I am. That they would see me and behold my glory. That they would be with me where I am. Like, do we let that strike our hearts? That He longs to be with us. He longs to be near to us. That the God of the universe longs to be close to us. We all grew up in the church, or a lot of us did. Or we've been in the church long enough to where we kind of like just tuned out right now. Because we don't actually get it. We don't actually get it. Because we actually prefer the opinions of really cool pastors or preachers or spiritual leaders over the opinion of God. We actually care a little bit more about our reputation sometimes. than we care about the way that God is moved by us when we say, we, we cry out to him. At least that's how it is for me. It's, we start realizing that we don't really get the love, of the love of the Father until we start realizing, oh, somebody we think is important starts speaking, and we go, you'd rather listen to them.